Do you think people can change, uh, change for the better or change for the worse? I think we can definitely change for the worse. Uh, things like physical or mental health struggles, uh, relationship struggles, financial struggles, and trauma can cause us to become depressed, anxious, embittered, and other such things. It's also easy to become more cynical and judgmental as time passes, and so we all have the capacity to, in some ways, become worse. But can people change for the better? And by better, I'm referring to I'm, I'm not referring to people just making better choices that lead to a better life. I mean becoming a different sort of person, becoming a better person. Can a cruel person become kind? Can a greedy person become generous? Can a narcissistic person become caring for others? Can a proud person become humble? This sort of inner transformation is a, is a frequent plot line in books and TV shows and movies. Like the transformation of Ebenezer Cruz and Scrooge. Scrooge. Uh, I, I was mixing up with Tom Cruise, that other guy. <laughs> Ebenezer Cruz, no. Tom Scrooge, no. Ebenezer Scrooge and Charles Dickens's A Christmas Carol. Right? You, we all know that story, and it's a beloved story. It's been, it's been uh, retold many times and put into plays and movies, and even the Muppets got into it. But we see this transformation of this person, and, and Charles Dickens really captures that, that essence of, of what we all long for in ourselves, what we long to see in others, where somebody who we just can't imagine could possibly change undergoes this radical transformation goes from being an extremely greedy, selfish person to a generous, transformed person. The transformation of a character in a story is what makes a story good. We're all looking for that to happen, somebody being transformed. But is this sort of character transformation the stuff of fictional stories, or does it happen in real life? I'm sure you can think of a few people you'd love to see that sort of character transformation happen to. Perhaps it's somebody you know personally. Or people around the world whose character flaws cause other people to suffer. People whose harmful actions flow to the core of their being. In other words, they're just being themselves. A cruel person who's cruel in their heart acts in cruel ways toward others. A person who is self-absorbed and indifferent and narcissistic really doesn't care about others. They're just being themselves. And so we shouldn't be surprised by their actions. They don't know how to be anybody else. But we wish they were. <clears throat> I had a conversation years ago with a, with a police officer who... <clears throat> struggled believing in the ability of people to change. And it's because of their constant contact with repeat offenders, with seeing people who, who say something, but then they kind of default to who they truly are. <clears throat> you know the old saying, a leopard can't change its spots. And it refers to that common belief or common experience that a person can't change their essential personality, their inner character. 
that they're somehow genetically predisposed to be that person, regardless of how much they try to change. That a cruel person was born with that inner cruelty, and it will always remain a part of who they are. A leopard can't change their spots. And yes, they might learn how to hide it from others, but it's still there. The monster within, as some might say, or as Jesus put it, a wolf in sheep's clothing. It may look like something on the outside, but inside it's still the same essential thing. And through my observations of people over the years, I've had my own doubts about people's ability to change. People with these innate character flaws that cause others to suffer. Cruel people, greedy people, narcissistic people, proud people. And as much as I've tried to influence change, change didn't happen. I've experienced with people within the Christian community, and I've experienced with people outside of the Christian community. Which creates a dilemma, of course, because the core of my belief is that people can change. And if I didn't believe that change was possible, I wouldn't have remained a pastor. But fortunately, I have seen people change. But it wasn't because of me. It was because they encountered Jesus. Over the past couple of months, we've been doing a sermon series about encounters that individuals have had with Jesus, as recorded in Scripture. And for some, the encounter only highlighted their character flaws, like the encounters that Jesus had with certain religious leaders. Their own self-righteous pride prevented them from seeing Jesus for who He truly was, and it also prevented them from seeing their own hypocrisy. For others, the encounter radically changed their circumstances, like the people with physical disabilities being healed. We looked at stories about the blind being healed, the deaf being healed, the lepers being healed, people with different deformities being healed. Their encounter with Jesus radically changed their lives, their circumstances. Or the dead being raised whose encounters with Jesus gave a whole new meaning to having your life changed. Many of these encounters changed their circumstances, but we're not always told if it changed the essence of their character. Some of them we don't know. We don't, did it change their, their inner personhood or did it just change their circumstances? We don't have all of those stories. But for some, it did, like the transformation of Zacchaeus, the, the greedy tax collector whose encounter with Jesus transformed him into a generous person. And all of the Jesus encounters we looked at were before his crucifixion, except for the one I spoke about last time, when Peter encountered the resurrected Jesus on that beach. Today, we're going to be concluding this series by looking at an encounter that someone had with the heavenly Jesus after His death, resurrection, and ascension to heaven. And I think it's the strongest example in Scripture of a life so radically transformed by an encounter with Jesus. And of course, you might have already guessed, we're talking about the conversion of Saul on the road to Damascus. And we find this in the book of Acts. 
We're going to read uh, just a little bit here just before we get to his actual conversion experience in Acts 1 to 3. And this is immediately after the stoning of Stephen. Stephen, who was appointed to care for the, uh, the widows, and, and he was, became a very powerful preacher, and, and, and that wasn't a popular thing amongst the religious leaders, and they stoned him. We find in chapter 8, verse 1, Saul was one of the witnesses to Stephen's stoning, and he agreed completely with the killing of Stephen. A great wave of persecution began that day, sweeping over the church in Jerusalem, and all the believers except the apostles were scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. Some devout men came and buried Stephen with great mourning, but Saul was going everywhere to destroy the church. He went from house to house, dragging out both men and women to throw them into prison. And now we move to chapter 9. Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. And so he went to the high priest. He requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus, asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any followers of the way, which is the way of Jesus, he, that he found there. He wanted to bring them both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. As he was approaching Damascus on this mission, a light from heaven sh suddenly shone down around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. The voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. These men with Saul stood speechless, for they heard the sound of someone's voice, but they saw no one. Saul picked himself up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he was blind. So his companions led him by hand to Damascus. He remained there blind for three days and did not eat or drink. Now there was a believer in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord spoke to him in a vision calling Ananias. Yes, Lord, he replied. The Lord said, go over to Straight Street, to the house of Judas. When you get there, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He is praying to me right now. I've shown him a vision of a man named Ananias coming in and laying hands on him so that he can see again. But Lord, exclaimed Ananias, I've heard many people talk about the terrible things this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem. And he is authorized by the leading priest to arrest everyone who calls upon your name. But the Lord said, go, for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings, as well as to the people of Israel. And I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So Ananias went and found Saul. He laid his hands on him and he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instantly, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he regained his sight. Then he got up and was baptized. 
Afterward, he ate some food and regained some, his strength. Saul stayed with the believers in Damascus for a few days. And immediately he began preaching about Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is indeed the Son of God. All who heard him were amazed. Isn't this the same man who caused such devastation amongst Jesus' followers in Jerusalem? They asked. And didn't he come here to arrest them and to take them in chains to the leading priests? Saul's preaching became more and more powerful. And the Jews in Damascus couldn't refute his proofs that Jesus was indeed the Messiah. After a while, some Jews plotted together to kill him. They were watching for him day and night at the city gates so that they could murder him. But Saul was told about their plot. So during the night, some of the other believers lowered him in a large basket through an opening in the city wall. When Saul arrived in Jerusalem, he tried to meet with the other believers, but they were all afraid of him. They did not believe he had truly become a believer. Then Barnabas brought him to the apostles and told them how Saul had seen the Lord on the way to Damascus and how the Lord had spoken to Saul. He also told them about that Saul preaching boldly in the name of Jesus in Damascus. So Saul stayed with the apostles and went all around Jerusalem with them, preaching boldly in the name of Jesus. He debated with some Greek-speaking Jews. But they tried to murder him. When the believers heard about this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him away to Tarsus, his hometown. The church then had peace throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria. And it became stronger as the believers lived in the fear of the Lord. And with the encouragement of the Holy Spirit, it also grew in numbers. There's someone who was changed radically, thoroughly, deeply, the, in the depth of their inner person, undeniably. A little side comment that really has nothing to do with any of this, but um, who has a, a mental picture of, of Saul on this encounter with Jesus on the road falling off a horse? Anybody have that picture in their head? It, it's, there's famous paintings of it. Uh, it's funny because it, Scripture doesn't actually say he fell off a horse, but someone at some point said, hey, let's have him fall off a horse. And so people often think that, you know, he fell off a horse. But maybe he did, but uh, we have no way of knowing that that actually happened. Also, in case you uh, not didn't know about this, that Saul is the same person who became known as Paul, uh, the writer of the majority of the letters that we have in the New Testament. And his name we see is often used interchangeably, Saul, Paul. He was completely transformed by his encounter with Jesus. It was Jesus who changed him. It wasn't something else that happened. It wasn't what somebody else said to him. He met Jesus. Jesus appeared to him. But it's understandable why the believers were so scared to meet him. He was murdering them. He was imprisoning them. They were terrified of this guy. Pre-encounter Saul was a murderous threat. Post-encounter Saul was a humble, self-sacrificing and loving preacher of the gospel. And Saul's conversion gives us hope for the impossible to take place in somebody's life. 
Many times over the years, I've thought and said, well, if it could happen to him, it could certainly happen to them. That God is a God of the impossible. People we look at and say, there's no way. There's no way that that person could ever change. Apparently, there is a way. And so, we pray for that to happen in people. It doesn't mean that they will, but they could. And that's what faith and hope working together are, the belief that things and people can change for the better. So when does God change us for the better? Well, sometimes it's an initial event like this, like Paul or Zacchaeus' conversion moment. I had my own initial event encounter with Jesus that changed me. There was a moment in time, a specific thing that happened where I encountered Jesus. And it changed me. But God also changes us throughout our lives. A theological term for this is sanctification, becoming something. It's the long road of transformation as we become a certain type of person over time. If we desire and allow that to happen, we can kind of put the brakes on that process. But it's this, it's this ongoing encounter with Jesus that changes us and makes us more and more like Him. A type of person who looks, sounds, and acts more and more like Jesus. So how do people encounter Jesus today? I didn't, I didn't have this where Jesus, like, you know, Paul on the road to Damascus moment. I, I had my moment, but, but that's, that's not the norm. I'm not saying that can't happen or doesn't happen, or maybe that happened to you. But that's not the norm. How do people encounter Jesus today? He's not here. How does God change us? Well, there are five primary ways. One is just sovereignly through His Spirit, through these encounters, through God just showing up. We have a good friend in, in Turkey, uh, a pastor there. Uh, he was a leader of the Protestant churches in Turkey. We went and lived there with them for six months, um, 15 or so years ago. And his conversion experience happened on a bus. He was riding a bus, and he had this vision. And in this vision, he saw Jesus in this vision. And, and words were spoken to him, and that began in him, this hunger. is like, I need to, and he began to search for a Bible. He began to search for somebody to, to tell him about what he had seen. God just showed up. It happens. We encounter Jesus through God's Word. As we're reading Scripture, many people have come to faith just by reading Scripture, and, and, and the Scriptures are alive. They're alive, and they change people's lives. And so people have encountered Jesus through reading God's Word. Sometimes people encounter Jesus through their life circumstances. Something happens. Something happens in their lives, and, and through that, they have this distinct impression that Jesus is behind it. 
and it changes them. They encounter Jesus through an event, through a circumstance. Sometimes people encounter Jesus through others, through the ministry of others, through the witness of others, through somebody telling them about Jesus. And through those spoken words, the Spirit works and brings that inner sense of conviction, of belief, of faith. And sometimes people encounter Jesus through service to others, through, through doing good things, through their acts of service, and through that, they, they, they become aware that there's something happening, that their goodness is sourced from somewhere else, and, and through those acts of kindness, of generosity, they become aware of the person of Jesus Christ. There's lots of ways that people encounter Jesus today. And I'm sure if, uh, for those of you here who consider yourself believers in and followers of Jesus, you could come and share your own stories about how you encountered Jesus and how perhaps you continue to encounter Jesus. But how can we know for certain if God has changed our inner person? Well, Paul writes to the church in Galatia about the fruit of the Spirit. He says that the, the evidence of the life of God within us, of the, the fruit of the Spirit, which is love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control, that, that these are signs that there has been an inner transformation that has taken place. These are the qualities of a person who has been transformed by Jesus. And Jesus also said that by your fruit you will know them. In the book of James, chapter 2, verse 14, he writes, What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith but don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing and you say, goodbye and have a good day. Stay warm and eat well. But then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? So you see, faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it is dead and useless. Now, some people may argue some people have faith and others have good deeds. But I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I will show you my faith by my good deeds. A life that has been transformed by Jesus will produce a love for others that is manifested through actions, not just words. As we bring this present sermon and, and this sermon series to a conclusion, we're left with a question. Have you encountered Jesus? And if not, do you want to? Are you ready to encounter Jesus? He invites you to believe in Him, to trust Him, and to follow Him. And if you want to do that, but you're not sure how, all you need to do is ask. Ask Him to help you believe. That's, that's, that's a legitimate prayer. Jesus, help me. I, I want to believe. I don't even know if I'm, am I talking to you? What's, what's going on? But, but I, there's something within me. Help me to believe. Help me to put my trust in you. 
Help me to follow you. It's a step of faith. And for those who've already encountered Jesus and have previously experienced His transformational power in your life, perhaps you need a fresh encounter. Perhaps you've been living in the afterglow of your initial Jesus encounter or previous encounters, and the light isn't as bright as it once was. Life's challenges, life's demands, life's desires have pulled your heart in other directions. If so, it's time for an honest conversation with Jesus. It's not coming from a place of guilt or shame. It's coming from a place of honesty. It's like, I feel like I've, I've kind of, I've stalled here. I feel like I'm, I'm not the person I once was, and I'm, I've, I feel some distance. I want to be more like you, Jesus. I want to live the life that you have given to me to live. And so we have that honest conversation with Him. We acknowledge our present state. It's called confession. We ask Him to help us continue becoming the person He created us to be, right, which is repentance, right? That's turning from, I'm going this way, but I want to go this way, right? We just, we get to be ourselves. And Jesus, He hasn't gone anywhere. He's right there. He's like, yeah, let's do it. Let's do that. Let's let him continue completing the work that he began in us, as the Apostle Paul said. I invite our worship team to come up, and I want to invite you to stand with me as we pray together. Lord, we are amazed by the transformational work that you do in people's lives. The lives that we read about in the Scriptures, the lives that were utterly transformed by you, both their external circumstances but their inner persons as well. And Lord, we know it didn't stop there because we ourselves are recipients of such transformational grace. We're not the people we once were. You've changed us. You've changed us, and we're grateful. And here we are, God, in our present state. Perhaps there's some here or who are listening to this who can't say with confidence that they have encountered you, Jesus. They might believe certain things about you or want to believe certain things, but don't feel like they've actually met you. God, I pray that by your Spirit now you would come to them and give them faith and help them to believe. Stir that up within them, God, that they might Taste and see that you are good. And that in you there is life, that there is freedom, that there is forgiveness, that there is hope. 
And God, for those of us who have encountered you, maybe it was that initial event. Maybe there were other moments along the way, God. Maybe we've even recently, this morning, felt your very real presence like we had this encounter. But God, we know that you are a God of more. You are a God of always more. You always have more to pour out. You're always calling us into a place of more. More of you. More transformation. More becoming, God, like you. On the inside, which then manifests externally into our lives to those around us. Jesus, I pray that you would help us to hunger and thirst for you. Just as you said, to hunger and thirst, to seek your kingdom and your righteousness. To always want more of you, more of your life, more of your goodness, more of your power. God, help us to be your force of love, of goodness in our world. Transform us by your spirit. Jesus, we pray in your name. Amen.